You are listening to Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship with the world. My name is Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, we're joined by Meg and Maurice to discuss different paths to becoming a designer, whether it's higher education or something else completely. Don't worry, you'll get it wrong. We all did. Here we are, again, in podcast town. Welcome. <laughs> that was a really cool and smooth intro. I know. Well, yeah, you know, I think about these things a lot. I really prepare quite a bit for the show before we record. Well, so tonight we're going to be talking education. And I want to start with a little quip because, uh, Meg, the last episode you were on, we were, we were discussing, uh, what was the topic? Oh, gosh, I can't remember what the topic was. Whatever we were discussing, Matt brought up the uh, supposition that the four of us who were on the podcast were probably the kinds of people that, during school, uh, did all of the group projects, everybody in graphic design. And, uh, and Meg, you just kind of rolled with the punches and just uh, ignored that, that weird bias that we showed for assuming everybody went to, stool, went to school for graphic design. Because this episode, <laughs> we're talking about formal education and design. And, uh, and Meg, I know you spent a little bit of time there, but ended up not graduating from your program, correct? That is super correct. I dropped out. You were only there for like a semester? Like you didn't stick around for too long, right? Yeah, I went to school to become a freelancer. And at some point during a very short time while I was there, I realized that I could just be a freelancer and I didn't need to be in school. So I pieced out. There you go. There you go. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. I want to talk about uh, different paths to design and uh, kind of each of our experiences and how we became a designer and uh, maybe reflections on that and if we would have any advice for somebody who was looking to become a designer now and considering the options of formal study uh, or other options available to them. Um, so Meg, I think you kind of gave us a little bit, but like, what is your like full, what is your like full story how you got into design? Like when, when did baby Meg know that she wanted to be a designer? Oh, little baby Meg. Uh, all right. So baby Meg actually wanted to go to school for fashion. So I left Kansas city, moved to LA, went to a fashion school, realized I didn't like LA or the fashion industry too competitive I'm not a competitive person. Sure. So I finished that program. It was an accelerated program. I think it took me about a year and a half. Got out of there. Realized I wanted to be freelance web designer. So I found a school in Chicago that would let me make up my own major because at the time they weren't teaching web development and graphic design in one course anywhere yep. except for this school in Chicago that let me make up my own major. And I went to school to learn how to be a freelance web designer and I wanted to know how to design and code a website. So I went to school and was uh, using student loans to finance my education was paying for it on my own, not at the time. I was planning on dealing with it later, hence the loans. <laughs> yep, so that's how those work. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I was using the loans to also pay for my living, which was really smart at the time, but not so smart for me now. Um, so mm -hmm. I went to school for about a year. I went there for two semesters, and I was one of only a handful of people who had ever done this program where you make up your own major at the school. So they didn't know what to do with me at any time. I kept just taking a class here and a class there from different majors. And then at some point I convinced them to let me graduate after it had only been a year. <laughs> and someone gave me a soft yes. So I just took that soft yes and I ran with it and I just got <laughs> out of there. 
And then I realized eventually that I never really got my diploma and I didn't really know what was going on there. So I contacted them and they said they looked at me in the system and I couldn't get my diploma because I had an unreturned library book. And so... Wait, seriously? That's like the stereotypical <laughs> joke about why you can't get your diploma. Yeah. Well, that's what they told me. So I looked and I found the book, but then I realized that I didn't care at all. So I just kept the book instead. So I'm really not <laughs> sure. I went to school for a year and maybe could have graduated. Not really sure. But I have a book now that I didn't have before. <laughs> you should frame <laughs> the book as if it was a diploma and put it on your wall. Like I've a nice, never even you know, looked at it. Nice matted frame. <laughs> Um, all right, I have a lot of questions there, but I want to kind of go through everyone's uh, beginning story, and then we'll kind of come back and uh, answer the same questions, all of us. So, um, Maurice, I'm curious to know, we've talked about it a little bit, but for those that don't know, like, what what is your path to becoming a designer been? Oh, that's interesting. So, I've always had an interest in uh, in design, but it had been more so through coding. Um, design had sort of become something that was a hobby turned into a profession. I mean, as a kid, I always drew and sketched on things my older brother is actually the the designer and the artist in the family like he paints he sculpts he does all kind of stuff at a a level that I will probably never attain in terms of of natural artistic ability um but for me I mean my background is actually in in math and science I mean I didn't really have design as a profession I think at any point growing up I was I kind of wanted to be a writer, if anything else. I mean, I did a lot of writing. I had things published in middle school and in high school, but I was also really good in math and science. And I was captain of the math team and captain of the French team and all that kind of stuff. And so when it came time for college, I kind of just went to the one place that gave me the most money, (laughs) if I'm being completely honest, uh, which uh, ended up being Morehouse College here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, And for those that are listening that don't know, Morehouse College is... Uh, an HBCU, uh, Historically Black College University. It is the, uh, I think, the only all-male uh, HBCU in the world. It's certainly one of the, the most prestigious HBCUs, uh, but they don't have a design program. So I, when I went there, I started in computer engineering, switched to computer science, and then switched to math, which is what my undergrad degree is in. Uh, but I was always kind of doing design stuff, you know, kind of on the side. Like for my scholarship program, I made the website for that. I had some design clients on the side. I had, you know, copies of Photoshop and Illustrator. And even in my math program, we were doing 3D modeling with, you know, Mathematica and things like that. So I kind of had a little bit of a an inroads into design, sort of. Uh, once I graduated, I basically did a bunch of customer service type jobs because apparently you can't get a job with a math degree unless you want to teach math, which I did not want to do. It's kind of over school after 12 years and then going into four years in college, I just didn't want to do any more school. So I did a bunch of customer yeah. service jobs. I, I sold tickets. I was a telemarketer. I did a bunch of kind of odd jobs here and there. And then I You'd got be a first... good telemarketer, Maurice. Like, <laughs> I think it's, you have the skills for that. I think so now, now that I'm doing all this podcasting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but in 2005, I got my first design job. I uh, applied to a design job in the back of our local alt weekly called Creative Loafing. And it was a design job with the state of Georgia. And I did that for two years. And then after that, I did a short stint at WebMD as a developer. And then I did a a longer stint at AT AT&T as a junior web designer, then a senior web designer. And then I quit in 2008 and started my own studio. Uh, At the time, it was called 318 Media. Now it is known as Lunch. 
and I've been doing that uh, ever since. Oh, and between um, <laughs> between that first design job and starting my studio, I also went back to school and got a master's degree in telecommunications management. Gotcha. So just to clarify, at no point did you sit in the classroom and have somebody teach typography or graphic design or anything that uh, might be considered like a graphic design skill to you, correct? None. I have not taken a single design course. So that was all learned on the job kind of uh, just through doing it, right? Yeah, like on the job or like even just kind of on my own, just, you know, starting projects and building my knowledge from there. Did you ever have like a, a mentor or anybody that was a practicing designer that you kind of learned from or was it literally all just you kind of uh, figuring it out? Well, I, I did have mentors that, that were designers. Uh, my friend uh, Usani is a big mentor of mine. Um, my friend Honey, she's a big mentor of mine. Um, but I wouldn't say that I really looked to, to them to to teach me. If anything, I was kind of I don't know, I guess sort of emulating from a distance in a way, if that, sure. if that kind of makes any sense. I wasn't asking Role models anyone, maybe more than mentors. Yeah, like I wasn't asking anyone specifically. Like I didn't, I didn't have any uh, design mentors at all during all this. It was basic, basically just seeing who was doing great stuff out there that I kind of, uh, you know, really associated myself with and that I felt like I had a strong connection to. And then just sort of seeing what they do and seeing what moves they make and trying to, to emulate that. Matt, you know what me. Was, what was your path to design? I know I know you, but not everyone knows I, you or knows how you I got here. Tell, I get to tell Andy's story before Andy gets to tell Andy's story. I'm giving you the uh, opportunity to do it first. Yeah. So I just was like a kid who wanted to make art things in high school and uh, decided I wanted to go to art school and college. I do remember when I was in high school, my, uh, what do you call it? Like, not a guidance counselor, but like, person who helps you figure out colleges life coach uh, whatever it is yeah li yeah life coach uh <laughs> i told him i wanted to go to art school and he's like that's gonna look terrible for my numbers uh because he really wanted to, he wanted some browns and some harvards but anyway yeah. so I, I greatly disappointed him going to art school but uh i applied to savannah college of art and design RISD, uh a couple of, i can't remember a couple other ones and got into scad was very excited about that and then uh, spent the next four years first learning about uh, drawing naked people and sculpting, and then typography, space between letters and things like that. And then I got a job in New York and figured out the rest of it. I learned like, I don't know, a quarter of what I needed to know, maybe. Is that fair, Andy? What'd you do? Well, so I, I, first before we move on to me, uh, did you feel like the four years you spent in school, like you learned a lot, you were like happy with the program, like overall just a positive experience in, in college, right? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I bet if you asked me at the time, I would have said they're not dealing with technology enough. Like, I know sure. more about web design than these people, um, which is which was true. But also, like, I, I think probably my time was pretty well spent. That was just uh, me being a jerk. A little bit of me being a jerk, a little bit of true. Sure. Yeah, I mean, my story is pretty similar. Uh, I would say that the uh, the key differences are that when it came time for me to apply to colleges, uh, which in my family, in my high school, in my like town was just like an assumed thing, right? Like everyone goes to college. So it's not a thing that I gave a great deal of critical thought. I was like, of course, I'll go to college. Uh, so of the college options, I picked the arty one because I was the arty kid. So uh, it was very much assumed I would go to college. And, you know, I did not really do my due diligence re-researching schools and applying. Um, I don't know why. I can't really remember what I was feeling at the time. It was a long time ago, obviously. 
Uh, I just I don't think I ever felt like uh, it was super important or that uh, it was going to have a huge effect on my life, which it obviously was. I just didn't feel that level of import at the time. So uh, I've only applied to two schools. I applied to Micah in Baltimore, and I applied to uh, Kutztown, which is a state school in Pennsylvania, which has a pretty decent art program for a state school. Um, my thought thought of the time was definitely that I wanted to go to Micah, and if I didn't get into Micah, then I can go to Kutztown. That was like a kind of fallback application. Um, I visited RISD, but didn't apply because they've required you to make specific drawings just for them for your portfolio. If I remember correctly, you had to draw a bicycle and two other things. And, uh, and you had to put them on slides. That was yeah. the most challenging part. Yeah, and indignant high school Andy was like, I'm not drawing something just for your portfolio, you arrogant school. Uh, also, I had a bad time visiting. They was not super well organized. So I just didn't apply there for dumb excuses I made up. Um, so basically by luck, I only applied to Micah, by the way, because a friend of mine who was in my high school, who was the only other person to apply to art schools from my entire graduating class of 560 people, um, she was very on top of her stuff. And she had visited Micah and like done all the research about it. And she basically said to me, like, I think you would like this place. And she was right. I did. Um, so she did the research for me and just told me <laughs> I would like this place. And I applied and ended up there. Um, but I had a great time at college. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot. It was an overall positive experience for me, for sure. Um, and then after school, I started my own business, and that's where I am now. Um, there's a lot of other details in there, but not really relevant to this conversation. Um, the thing I want to ask, uh, I guess specifically Meg, is, you know, like I mentioned, when I was growing up, it was very much assumed that I would go to college. And so I just did it because that was like the assumed path that I would follow by everyone in my sort of community. Um, was that kind of assumption or pressure on you where you grew up? Absolutely. I did a really bad job, too, of researching my options as far as careers went. I have an older sister who's four years older than me, and she was going to school for fashion as well. So I just thought, okay, that's the only non-traditional career option I have to choose from. So that's why I went to fashion school, because I really had no idea besides, you know, doctor, lawyer, teacher, what my job options were. And I thought, oh, fashion, that's cool. I'll do that. Uh, and so it was, it was just assumed, like you said, that I would go to college because everyone yeah. went to college. I never really thought that it would be an option not to, because it just, there was that stigma that you go to college and that's how you make money. That's how you get anywhere. You go on these steps, these predetermined steps that you're supposed to take to get somewhere in life. And college was just one of them. Yeah. I, I definitely had the same, the same pressure where I grew up. Uh, it was just like this huge stigma. If you didn't get in or chose not to go to college, uh, the assumption was that you screwed up and now your life's off the tracks and what's going to happen to you. So um, the other thing that I kind of just kind of went along with at the time, because I assumed it was what everyone did and what I was supposed to do was, you know, taking out loans, right? Um, I My parents helped me a little bit with school. Uh, I ended up taking out a, a, quite a bit of loans myself as well. Um, but I took them out like in the way that... Uh, I just assumed it was what I was supposed to do and had to do it. Uh, and so I took out those loans and, you know, Micah is a very expensive school. Uh, they're also pretty generous with their scholarships. Uh, and I got quite a few jobs there. And you can, Micah is interesting in that you can earn more scholarships throughout your time at the college, uh, more so than most other places. So I didn't have as many going in because uh, I didn't go to like an art magnet high school or anything. So my portfolio was not as good as many of my peers coming into school. Um, but I earned more by working harder over the time I was there. Um, but still accrued quite a bit of debt uh, over over my time there, which was a thing that, um, you know, I, I don't regret anything I've done in my life, but uh, I certainly did not understand all of the implications when I made that decision to take on that debt. Uh, it had not sort of settled exactly what that would mean for, you know, future Andy's life uh, <laughs> when I did it. 
Um, so, so yeah. So Meg, you kind of picked this stuff up yourself as well. Kind of similar to Marisa's story. You just kind of dove in headfirst and kind of figured things out for yourself. Oh yeah. No one ever helped me. (laughs) I never, I also never really had a mentor or anything. Nobody told me what I was supposed to do at any point. I just had to kind of guess along the way and figure it out as I went. And I think it worked out pretty well. I think if, if somebody was there to give advice to me along the way, I would have figured it out a lot faster, but I'm pretty impressed that I was able to, to figure it all out by myself. And figure it all out means, of course, like you had to learn software to like actually make the things you were making and you had to learn the basics of design and how to make something laid out that made sense and all of the sort of, you know, philosophical and academic things we talk about, um, which is a lot to take on. I, I, what I'll say is I think um, let's just jump into like evaluating whether or not uh, like if you're if you're a student today, let's say you're graduating high school uh, this coming year, you're a senior. Um, I'm trying to think what advice I would give to a student that said they wanted to study design. The um, my reflection on my educational experience again overwhelmingly positive. I loved college, and the reasons I loved it were because of my peers, first and foremost. Uh, going to you know a small, uh, fairly exclusive art school, you get to meet all sorts of really interesting, talented people from all over the world. Lots of international students, people from all over the country, uh, with all sorts of weird and interesting uh, kind of focuses and interests and bodies of work. And meeting all those people uh, and getting exposed to the diversity of that kind of population was, I think, in hindsight, the most valuable thing that I got out of my college experience. Um, Second thing is like, you know, the actual like things I was taught, right? Uh, And Matt, just like you, I think when I was in school, I would have complained about the relevance of some of the things that I was studying. And I also was mostly interested in working on websites or digital products or, you know, something involved with software and technology. And that was the thing that, you know, 10 years ago was not uh, as supported at college as I, as I understand it is now. So uh, we were still, let's see, I took a class on how to make websites in Flash. That was a class that I took. Um, <laughs> we were using Fireworks uh, for our coursework. So uh, so it was, it was a while ago. Uh, and those were things that were already dated at the time. Uh, and I knew they were dated, but there was just the sort of academic world had not caught up to it yet. Um, so even though I was studying graphic design formally, I was still on my own learning a lot of the things that I cared about because all the web stuff, all of the technology stuff was not really covered by the curriculum. Um, so it's not like I wasn't also teaching myself things. But, um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think uh, my feeling is that it would have been pretty easy for me to have learned the same kinds of things that I learned about graphic design, capital G, capital D, and about typography. Like if I had gotten the textbooks and read them and, you know, followed some people on the early days of Twitter, or like read some design blogs, I think I could have picked up a lot of the same things I picked up by studying it formally at school. I don't think I could have replicated the experience of being in that community uh, any other way meaningfully. Um, Like to me, I think that was the irreplaceable part of going to college. Um, So I guess if I'm like kind of turning that into any kind of advice for people uh, that might be listening, it's like the the academic experience is such a small part of what college uh, is. and Uh, If you have the privilege of being able to go and you or your family can afford it, you get the scholarships to afford it. um, I think that choosing a place that will surround you with people and ideas that are new and interesting to you is is probably more important than even like finding the the perfect program or something. The the way I think about it now is just that the I'm sure I could have learned the nuts and bolts of it, but like I probably needed someone to tell me that my work was bad a couple of times in order to really get here. And I don't. 
not that I couldn't have gotten that elsewhere, but uh, once you get out, once you get out of college, you realize that there are not that many people who are super motivated to do that for you. I mean, you're, if you get a job, sure, which is probably a little bit challenging without a degree, but not impossible. But it's also not a place that's structured for learning. So, like, I, I can remember, actually, I can remember this feeling, this frustration where I really wanted to do type design in, in school, and there was nobody teaching a class. So I'd, like, try to do it on my own and post on the internet and try to get people to critique and, like, just realizing that no one's, no one's as motivated as I am to look at my own work and uh, pay attention to it. Yeah, no one's really um, in was, your corner. Yeah. Whereas that is that is something you get at, at a college is somebody is actually there. Uh, I mean, I'm sure. I guess if you go to a bad school, but if you go to a school where you have some <laughs> teachers that care about you, then at least someone is in your corner and, and trying to make you better, uh, which is a hard thing to find. Maurice, who told you your early work was bad? Clients. <laughs> <laughs> that's scary. There you I go. Think, <laughs> I think that's probably the easiest way to get uh, to get feedback when you think you're you're doing something great and your clients get it back and they're like, "What?" the hell is this that's <laughs> yeah. probably the easiest way i mean a lot of what i learned was from you know books and magazines and like i said i had friends that were designers but i didn't really have any sort of you know clue about how to go about to make good design if that makes any sense um mm -hmm. and partially it was because i was trying to approach it i think from a i hate to say from a creative point of view but that's sort of the best way that i can think of to describe it uh what I was doing was trying to imitate things that I saw um, that I looked at in magazines like, you know, dot net magazine or computer arts. Or uh, at one point in time, I lived across the street from a Barnes and Noble and I would just go in the Barnes and Noble and spend an afternoon looking through design books and like taking pictures with my, I mean, this is, this is before we had phones on, I mean, had cameras on phones, but I would take a little <laughs> camera and take pictures of things and then take them back to my computer and try to study and deconstruct what made it good design. And so I think a lot of my early stuff was about imitating what other people were doing instead of trying to put my own kind of spin on it. And so uh, as I grew as a designer and as I got feedback from clients and from others, uh, that's really how my, my style sort of evolved. Yeah, and that's true, I think, no matter, you know, how you're learning design. If you're, if you're in a formalized program, you're still doing a whole lot of imitating for the first couple years. Uh, that you're doing it formally because it's, not, it's hard to do anything else, right? You haven't really developed your own voice or your own sense of uh, your work. So yeah. uh, that can be a difficult thing. And I mean, even at the companies that I worked at, I mean, when I came in, they had uh, already strictly defined style guides. So it's not like I really mm -hmm. had opportunities to go in there and make something my own. Everything had to fall within certain strict guidelines. Like my first design job was for state government. And so everything that we had to do had to follow certain accessibility guidelines, and they already had an established style guide across all the different brands. So I couldn't really go in and, you know, go hog wild with how I wanted my design style to be. I had to fall within these certain constraints, and it was the same way at WebMD. It was only until I got to AT&T that I was able to kind of branch out a little bit um, and do some different design things. And even then, the feedback that I would get would come from QA, it would come from clients, it would be that sort of direct feedback to let you know that, okay, what you did here was great, what you did here, not so much. Did you find that clients were able to tell you why it didn't work or just that it wasn't and you had to figure that part, part and you had to figure that part out on your own? Oh, I had to figure that part out on my own. Like the clients did not come with, with uh, any sort of uh, great level of design knowledge, but I think what, um, I think what might've been a benefit was that I didn't come with any design knowledge either. 
So we were kind of both at the same level of trying to figure out, okay, what is it that you want? And I'm trying to decipher what they need from the comments that they're giving me. Like I'm trying to meet them where they're at. I feel like if, if I had come and had a more established design knowledge than the client, I could come off as probably a little snooty if they were saying, well, we just need this to pop more. Okay. Well, what does that mean? You know, now I know if a client says that I can sort of talk them through articulating that in a way that I can understand it, or at least me try to come down to their level to see, okay, well, what are the things that influence you and inspire you? And what about these things do you think has pop? And so I can take what they say from that, extrapolate it to their project, and, you know, hopefully try to get to a happy medium. You know, Maurice, listen to you talking about this. It, uh, it occurs to me that I think one of the very common byproducts of a formal design education is that you get young designers that come out of those programs and there's this kind of, uh, they grate against the real world, right? When they, when they hit their first design job or they you know, have their first couple of freelance clients, uh, I've talked to a lot of young students and a lot of young designers that, you know, more or less have the opinion of these clients don't get it, right? Like, I think that I think it's where you get the epitome of the like clients from hell mentality. I think those are a lot of really young, really kind of green designers that aren't familiar with like a service industry that are having a hard time grapple with, you know, clients' needs and the way they kind of put things and ask for things. I get the sense from listening to you talk, Maurice, that that was you never would have developed that in any in any there's no possible way you could have developed that because of the kind of humility with which you approached uh the, the the industry right you were like learning it as you went and you very much like were guided by clients needs more so than some kind of abstract academic ideal which you believe to have internalized and we're going to kind of go out into the world and kind of force upon people is, is that fair to say i think that's fair to say i mean i think what i had to do was tap into my um my own sense of empathy to try to reach the client where they are um you know, as I said earlier, you know, one of the, the first jobs I had, certainly when I was in college, one of the first jobs I had, I was selling tickets uh, at the symphony. And so I would often get these like old, snooty, rich, white clients or customers, I would say, that would come to the window and just talk to you any kind of way, you know. And so it's like, OK, well, let me see if I can try to figure out how we can get to some happy medium to what they can get what they need and then mm-hmm. they can get from in front of my face. So how do we get to that point? How do we get from A to B? Um, and so with clients, it's sort of that same thing where you need to try to reach them where they're at, like try to understand where they're coming from with whatever feedback it is that they're giving you. And then try to, you know, like I said, reach the, the middle from there. And it makes sense that that would be near impossible to, teach in a formalized program, right? Because you can't fake that real interaction, right? You can't fake a client that is really like, hey, look, this doesn't do what I need it to do. Or, you know, this it doesn't work for X very practical reason. Like you can talk about those things theoretically, but it's not the same as when you're actually feeling it. And, you know, in, in some ways, it kind of makes sense that a designer that just spent $100,000 in four years of their life to <laughs> ostensibly become a graphic designer is going to have a huge chip on their shoulder when they go into a meeting and the client is like hey i really love this font that you think is bad or uh, i think you know this doesn't make sense this thing you did here and they're like well no you don't understand the you know joseph albers and the you know the, the typography pillars <laughs> and this is the correct way to do it uh you know it, it totally it totally tracks that people would have that kind of attitude i, I myself had that kind of attitude. i'm not like trying to throw the people under the bus i myself had this exact attitude uh completely um 
and you have to kind of work to unlearn that, right? Which is a thing you don't have to do, I presume, if you were self-taught. Yeah, I can I can only surmise that that's the case. I, I like I said, I, I haven't had any experience with with being in a formal design program, but I would guess that that is kind of very much the case. You have to unlearn certain behaviors because, and and I know this mainly from talking with designers on Revision Path, is that you know you get out into the real world and it's totally different from what you learned in school. Yeah, necessarily so. I think I, I don't know that school should be a perfect facsimile of the real world, because if so, then why aren't you just out in the real world, right? <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. supposed to be different in some way. Uh, those differences do cause some problems, though, uh, kind of as, kind of coincidentally. Um, Meg, I feel like your voice in your work is uh, perhaps, like, one of the strongest uh, relationships I'm aware of, of, like, the human being making the work to the work itself. I feel like I can spot a Meg Lewis piece of work from a mile away. And it like, if I had never met you, I could have extrapolated from your work what you might be like. It'd be a pretty good approximation. How did you develop such a, such a distinct and kind of refined voice without having, you know, the privilege of basically like multiple years to just kind of sit and figure out what you wanted your voice to be uh, without the kind of demands of the real world? Ooh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So whenever I was in school for a hot second, I would get in trouble all the time because I always had a style, they said, and I couldn't see my style at all, but everyone would comment on it and they would try so hard for me to change my style and I would keep changing it. And then everyone else would just assume I didn't change anything, but I felt like I had changed everything because I had this style that people just said that I always had. And so as I started freelancing, it was hard for me to get out of that style because the the type of work that I was getting was for a lot of stationery companies, yarn stores, little mom and pop shops. And I was really clashing with those clients because my style does not fit in with that industry at all. Mm -hmm. And so I was having a really hard time producing anything that they liked. And yet at the same time, I would have these clients that were working for really friendly uh, tech companies or companies that really valued my style. And I couldn't really figure out for many years why this wasn't working with a handful of companies in a certain industry and why it was working for these other companies in this other industry. And I realized that my style just isn't complementary for certain industries and it's not complementary for certain businesses really. So that was really hard for me and I had to figure out how to deal with that. And for a while, I tried to really, really change my style for for the happiness of my clients and for the, you know, to make better work for them. And it was just really hard for me and I couldn't do it. And so I decided eventually to only work for companies that have the same values as I do, companies that want to hire me for my style, that want friendly, personable design. And because I can't really create anything else. (laughs) Did it ever drive you crazy that anyone called it a style? Like, is... uh... You, you're, you're referring it to that way yourself, but like, do you think of it that way or do you think you just have an approach? Bef- before I recognized what it was, I was offended because it was sort of like, eh, don't tell me who I am. Don't tell me what my style is. <laughs> but people could see something that I couldn't see in myself. And as I got to know myself more and look inside and figure out what I liked about myself, it really kind of came through in my work as well. I noticed that all of those things that I like most about my personality are also in my work. And so I think once I finally, you know, embraced myself in that way, I started to become really proud of my style. And I decided to only work in that style from now on, because that's something that makes my work and me unique to anyone else. Like, I feel like a style is like kind of a dirty word in design, because it's like, uh, 
it, it has aesthetic qualities, but it doesn't have like philosophical qualities. Sure. But it sounds like you're you're uh, describing it as both. Yeah, I try to bridge the gap, but I think that's just because I'm a sort of a value or a mission-driven designer rather than a skill-based designer. So Mm -hmm. rather than calling myself a logo or brand or web or product designer, I work for companies that share the same values as mine. So if I'm achieving those values and those values can be sort of achieved through my work, then it's really meaningful for me. And I think that it packs a lot of punch and impact uh, aesthetically with meaning rather than just being something that's stylistic. The other thing that I keep uh, thinking as I listen to both you and Maurice talk is that, um, you know, I don't know what you were like when you were 17 or 18, uh, obviously, um, but I know that when I was 17 or 18, I, even though I, you know, quote unquote, could have probably learned the same formal skills I learned uh, through college, I think I didn't have the focus or direction to have done that on my own. Uh, I think I was kind of aimless, and one of the sort of big values that college or formal education provided to me specifically was that it was a structure, right? I didn't have to find my own path. I just took the classes and, you know, took a certain number of credits and showed up on time and did what I was told to do. And, you know, that structure was something that was very helpful, kind of regardless of whatever it was, right? Like, the fact that it led me down a certain path is is one thing, but just having something to do that I was, you know, still following a prescribed uh, path was was something that was very helpful to me. Um, I don't know, I I guess, if I could have changed anything about my college experience, um, well, obviously, I would have tried to earn more scholarships. But (laughs) aside from that, I think, um, I think I might have benefited from a year off between high school and college to just kind of center myself in the real world because you know school is so regimented and structured that you oftentimes kind of like lose your sense of self I feel like you're kind of just in this system and yep I do the things I'm supposed to do I get graded on them you know it's kind of like very it's almost like you know militaristic the way that you just kind of go through the steps and do what you're supposed to do Uh, and jumping right from that into another program that was the same way but where the stakes are so much higher right Uh, public school you know, I, I can't think of a great reason to drop out of public school when it's free and no one has an expectation that you're going to work. I mean, obviously, some people have really tough financial situations that kind of force to do that. But, you know, public school is kind of a gimme. Uh, when, you go, when you start talking about college, there's a huge difference in the financial investment, the, the time investment, the sort of, you know, years of your life investment that you're kind of committing to this thing, which is totally optional. Uh, and I think that uh, I didn't appreciate there was that difference at the time. And perhaps some time off would have allowed me to appreciate that. Um, do you have anything else that you would change, uh, Matt? I'll ask you specifically. Do you have anything you would change if you could go back and do it all over again, knowing what you know now? Uh, yeah, I think there's certain things I probably would take more seriously, and there are certain things I probably would take less seriously. Like I, I probably wouldn't stress out about like fitting the criteria as much and just try to learn more as opposed to like try to make the perfect thing with what I know. I feel like that was a thing I got trapped in a little bit is like oh i know i could do a really good job repeating the same thing i know how to do but if i really go for it i could mess it up and then i'll get a bad grade like i just let that go and i think i would i would uh probably just take advantage of the teachers there more like ask more questions show up in their office and like not be uh i don't know i I feel like i was a little bit like uh at first kind of detached from teachers because my experience was like high school and and uh middle school was kind of like they were the enemy. And I had to change that attitude in college a little bit more. Well, I, I definitely think I, I agree, Andy, with what you were saying about taking a year off. I think I wish that I would have done that 
because it, I didn't know what my options were and I didn't exactly know what I was doing. So I think I would have liked, and I think a lot of people could benefit from taking a year to figure out what they really want out of their adult lives and where they want to end up because I didn't know. I just kind of followed my sister's path and I went in a direction that wasn't really me and I made a mistake and, and then I tried to correct it. And it worked out really well for me because, you know, every event that I, in every decision that I made led up to where I am and it's totally awesome. Um, but I think that I could have saved myself a lot of time, but I'm also not the kind of person that needs a structure or a path. I don't like people telling me what to do. So I think that traditional education was never going to be for me. And it took me a long time to realize that because I am sort of the kind of person that once I know what I want to do, I'm so self-motivated and I'm such a self-starter that if somebody sets goals for me, it only holds me back because I need to do things on my own because I can do super fast. Um, so I think that in hindsight, I would have kind of made those couple of different changes, but I think, you know, in general, everyone is different. So I think that traditional education is so important for some people because structure, staying on a certain path, having people tell you exactly what to do is really important for people to be able to find their path. Whereas other people like me, you know, we just, we can't do it. I'm curious what it would have been like if I would have taken a year off between high school and college. I was just so ready to leave my small provincial rural Southern town that I was I was in college two weeks after I graduated high school. I could not wait. Whoa, really? I, I could not wait. Yeah, I moved uh, immediately after. Well, not immediately, but, you know, two weeks after. Uh, started in a summer program, was on campus in a dorm room. I think there was maybe like a week or two between the summer program ending and then the, the fall semester beginning. But I was I was ready. But that was largely because I just wanted to leave my current surroundings and less about me just having like this burning knowledge for desire, you know, this burning desire for knowledge. Cause I figured I would, I would pick it up on the way, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of came in thinking I had a plan and then my plan sort of changed because I thought I was going to do, you know, computer engineering, computer science. They have this, uh, this three, two degree program where you do three years at Morehouse, you do two years at Georgia tech. And then in five years you graduate with two degrees, which sounds great, but is also extremely grueling. And after the first semester, I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this. I need to find something else. And that's when I ended up kind of switching to math. But I think if there was anything I would change, if we're talking about just changing in our path, I would not have went to grad school. I don't think it helped. Really? Yeah, I don't think it helped at all. Oh, man. I, uh, I, I was thinking about the year off thing. <clears throat> I think if I if I'd taken a year off, I might have just hung out. Like, I really didn't. I didn't yeah. want to go to school. Like, I was like... <laughs> So not ready because I, I went from Massachusetts to Georgia, which was a big change, oh. and uh, that was scary. And <laughs> if I, I'm, I'm sure I told my parents I wanted to take a year off. That sounds like a thing I would have done, and they probably <laughs> were like, "Not you. You're just gonna <laughs> hang out here for a long time." It's probably pretty good I got there quickly, or else I think I would have just uh, been like, "Ah, maybe I'll just never move. It's fine. I like <laughs> hanging out." I, I do kind of want to touch on the the. I mean, me going like I said before. I wish I wouldn't have done the master's degree, but. I felt a lot of pressure when I was working to go back to school and get an advanced degree because I didn't have a degree in design. I felt like someone told you that or just like you looked at job listings that said you need. I looked at job listings. I was getting that pressure from the jobs that I was working at that if I was going to get to whatever the next level of my career was, I would need to get uh, an advanced degree, like a bachelor's degree was not going to cut it. Like a bachelor's degree was essentially the same as a high school diploma. And I'm like, yeah, I need to to find 
something else to level up sort of to get to the next level. But I felt a lot of pressure to do that. And I, I mean, I went and did my master's program. It was two years. It was great. I learned a lot. I have the degree, but I do not use it. You know, I can't say that it's, I don't know if I can say it's helped me. I mean, I work for myself now, so I, I can't really say if it's helped mm-hmm. me or not, but uh, I wouldn't have done it. Or if I did, yeah. I would have went in a design discipline. I, uh, I well, actually just in the design field, like I've never felt a need for it for a second or even like I, the only time I really thought about it was like right after school or like between graduating and, uh, or, or like slightly before graduating, before I had a job, mm-hmm. uh, and being like, uh Oh, I got to think of what's next. This is scary. Maybe more school. But after that, like, I haven't thought about it for a heartbeat. Um, which is maybe just because of the field I'm in, but like. It was. It just has not been. Just don't think I would even consider it at this point. The only reason it's come up for me is because uh, I love teaching. I would love to, at some point in the future, uh, basically, you know, commit to teaching more or less full time. Not right now. I feel like I've other stuff to do. But, uh, but yeah, teaching at most of the places I'd want to teach would require a master's degree uh, in some field. So that's the only reason I've ever thought about it for myself. I've never thought that going back to school to like learn more stuff would be the thing that I need in my life right now. Um, a lot of things I need, God knows, but not, not more school. I don't think, um, something that strikes me is that, uh, for all of the, uh, resources that were available to Maurice and to Meg and to Matt, you and I, when we were trying to learn things that our school didn't have programs for, for all the resources that were available, you know, 10, 15 years ago for all that stuff, uh, you know, we have so much more available to students now that want to teach themselves something, right? Like Maurice was going across the street to the Barnes and Noble and uh, getting out his big large format camera and blowing up some <laughs> gunpowder to take a picture of a spread to go home and study it after he developed the prints. And, uh, you know, that's a thing that uh, that's obviously very recent, very recent history. But uh, now what we the kind of resources that are available for anyone that wants to learn any practical thing, especially a practical thing related to like, you know, design, technology, uh, something you can do on a computer, I feel like the resources just abound. Um, do you think that given the free resources that are available, or even the paid resources that cost one one thousandth as much as a degree, right? If you pay for, uh, you know, Linda or a subscription to Linda, or you pay for some other, you know, educational program that's uh, remote, you pay for a Skillshare class, um, given the amount of things that are available for free or for very affordably, um, is there a justification for the academic programs that colleges offer if you take the social experience out of it, if you take the, you know, the need for structure that a lot of 17-year-olds have out of it? If you just kind of look at it in a vacuum, uh, do you think that academically you get your money's worth if you're paying $20,000 a year in tuition somewhere? You get something out of it. Is it worth it? I don't know. Like, I feel like if, <laughs> if uh, that's the hardest part, it, it, it's worth something, absolutely. I don't know if it's if it's worth like being in debt for a long period of time. Uh, but I, I mean, the most valuable parts are not the things that we're talking about in Skillshare, right? Like, I think we, I think we've talked already about the idea that we could we could probably all figure out the nuts and bolts parts of it. Um, so it was more everything else. So if if that starts to pop up, right? Well, so be be specific there, though, Matt. Like, what are the things you think you got out of your education that were the most valuable to you? Uh, the social thing. The uh, having a teacher there to like tell you that your work is bad, that thing that I brought up um, and having the structure around you to make you do this stuff. Right. Like as opposed to doing it after a job or like just doing it on your free time, 
uh there's a deadline you have to show up and you have to do it and there's someone to hold you accountable i think that's pretty important well so the one thing i'll say about that is that a lot of those things are met by like the skillshare and skillshare-esque models right those things have classes you have to actually attend uh or they Mm -hmm. have assignments that after the video for the week has been released you have a week to do the weekly assignment and you have deadlines and you have uh, an instructor that's going to have FaceTime with you where they're going to critique your work. Uh, like a lot of that stuff is present outside of the bounds of pay a crap ton of money uh, yeah. and like live here with us and eat at our dining hall <laughs> and uh, spend all your money on our textbooks and sweatshirts and that entire culture. Uh, I, I don't think, know. Uh, I think that's true. I, I haven't experienced it to know, but like I would have to imagine it's less powerful. Like it's less of a, even if it's something, it's not the full experience. I sometimes wonder how much, like, the fact that it costs X dollars is, like, the whole thing, right? Like, could... I wonder sometimes if, hypothetically, you could get exactly as much out of a Skillshare class, but because everybody only paid $100 for the class, people are... don't. There's there's so much less loss aversion to just, like, yeah. not showing up on time or not doing the assignment or just dropping the whole thing. Whereas, once you've paid your semester of tuition, the pressure to not quit in the middle and lose all that money uh, is, is really intense. Uh, and it's almost entirely because of the financial investment you made. Um, and I sometimes wonder if just the fact that there's all that money on the table is what kind of pushes people through those programs and pushes them to succeed and, and work really hard because they've intentionally made it a high stakes situation where you, you know, where failing is, is costly. Well, I, I think also, you know, if we're, if we're kind of comparing and contrasting, you know, Skillshare classes to college college courses i think the biggest difference that you have there despite the 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 material that you're learning is just the societal impact of the consequence of not seeing it through so like with a skillshare class you can do skillshare for like ten dollars a month and enroll in as many classes as you want to and never show up to a single one and the only consequence that you have from that is that you wasted ten dollars for the month whereas Mm -hmm. if you enrolled in a college if you took out a loan or scholarship or what have you and you took on a full course load and then just didn't go to your classes or you weren't, you know, felt like you weren't learning anything. The societal impact from you, you know, dropping out of school or something like that could be much greater than not seeing through, you know, like a like a Skillshare course or something. But but I would For also sure. say, you know, if we're looking at kind of the benefits that one would get from a formal education, that's not just the, the material that's learned. It's it's the notion of the pipeline. And I don't know how. Um, you know, how strong sure. this is either for, you know, for you, Matt or Andy, but, you know, going to that school and graduating and being an alum of that school kind of puts you in a certain echelon uh, of companies that might be looking to hire you or people that might be looking to profile you. Like there's a certain kind of pipeline. Of course, it's talked about a lot in the tech industry and the design industry about pipelines for hiring and things of that nature um i i can't say whether or not it's easier or harder if you're outside of that i feel like it's been harder for me outside of that but i think that that's sort of one benefit from it is sort of that pipeline that you get from it whether it's being part of an alumni association or just having the the degree itself to say yes i went here and they're like and companies or other people have a certain expectation of what that means to them to say, oh, well, this person went to Micah, this person went to SCAD, therefore, you know, it kind of goes from there. Yeah, that's something we didn't mention, which is very relevant. And, you know, I, I've felt that in my own life. I think most people, myself included, the idea that like networking is an important part of college and you're kind of like literally just paying your way into some exclusive cabal 
Uh, it feels <laughs> gross, right? But, uh, but, you know, I started my own business out of college. And one of our first clients within the first like six or nine months we started the business uh, was a client that uh, was the company that one of my professors worked for. And they hired us because my professor knew that we started this company. We were doing this kind of work. Uh, and we are still working with that client today, five and a half years later, six years later. Uh, and they've been one of our sort of biggest clients for the entire history of our business. And, you know, that's a very direct example of if I had not been in this class and met this person because they were teaching in that class. And I'm not going to get in that class without paying the tuition. Uh, so I'm paying my way to get in there. Um, that wouldn't have happened, right? And so who knows uh, how much di more difficult it would have been to have started a business without the various connections that you get to peers, to instructors, to other alumni, uh, you know, through that system. Because you know, I never applied for a job, so I never had the like, ooh, Micah-like moment where people, you know, looked at that and assumed that that meant I was good at my job or, you know, hired me because of it. But, uh, but the other things that are, like, less tangible are also really relevant and uh, a, a big part of, I think, why a lot of people go to programs. I mean, that, that's, a, like, a given in the business world or in, like, the world of finance or other industries. Uh, I think it's a little less talked about in, in, like, art and design and more creative industries, but it's still still definitely there. Yeah. I know when I was at Morehouse as an undergrad student, like, it was... It was impressed upon us, I think at every chance you get, particularly as a freshman, the importance of you being at that school and what it means to be at that school and the legacy of that school, of the graduates of that school. It was really forced into you pretty much at every every turn. So by the time you graduate, yes, you're you're part of this, you know, alum, you know, illustrious fraternity, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But it was it was put upon you so much that, you know, you being at this school makes you it, it puts you at a certain, I guess, societal level that other people don't have because they didn't go there, which to me is kind of gross. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I don't benefit from it. Yeah, no, I'm in the same place. I definitely find it gross, but that's the fact, right? That's that's how the world works. And I before we end, I do want to get in. You know, it seems like it's never an episode of Working Files. We talk about socialism somehow. And <laughs> I do want to add that, you know, the the pressure we talked about earlier of going to college, which I think a lot of people that graduate high school feel, um, I think it's felt more in wealthier communities who have a social sense that, you know, college is just what you do because uh, you're smart and come from this, you know, good family and you can afford it. So, of course, you should do it. Um, but there's also this, like, deep thing in like the way that our civilization works the way that society functions that you know capitalism gets its barbs in you early right it takes people right out of <laughs> right out of high school and the system is built such that you are extremely encouraged and it's made very very easy to incur an enormous amount of debt and once you have a lot of debt, then you're you're in the system. You're stuck, right? Now you have to go and work, and you have to go and you know join the whole join the whole rat race in a way that uh, you know benefits the rest of capitalism. Uh, which obviously capitalism is not this personified malicious actor uh, that is out there doing things intentionally. But it is worth noting that I think the way things are is a direct byproduct of the values that are expressed through capitalism, and uh, I think it's a a great and very simple uh, kind of protest to just not do it. Just don't get student loans if you don't want them. Don't go to college if you don't want to, um, especially in the industries we're talking about. Uh, I, I really don't think there is a stigma as a practicing designer uh, to not having a degree. I, I've hired 12 or 
14 designers over my career and I never once, you know, really considered somebody better because of somewhere they graduated, right? We looked at their work, we talked about their process, we got to know them. Uh, that was the important thing, uh, not what was on a degree somewhere. And obviously, you know, it's hard to tell how much the work and the portfolio and the ideas described uh, were a byproduct of where they studied. But um, but yeah, I, I think any stigma that exists uh, is probably maybe overstated or feels feels bigger when you uh, when you're just getting out of high school and don't know what else to do with your life. With that, let's move on to our closing thoughts. Everybody gets exactly one closing thought. And uh, Meg, do you have something on, in Ooh. mind? I want to start with you. Sure. Well, I think it's worth noting. Can I make a pre-closing thought? I'm already yes. breaking the rules. This is why <laughs> yes. I didn't go to school. Well, if I went to school, I would have been able to follow rules. Better yet, better yet, Meg, your closing thought can be 20 minutes. You can just keep going. It's fine. <laughs> no, I just think it's important to note that I, when I was living in New York, I was teaching actual college classes. I was an adjunct professor. And I didn't, you know, they didn't ever ask me if I had a degree. Yeah. And the fact that I was teaching college and didn't have a college degree, I think, says a lot about our industry. And the fact that they wanted me to teach just because I'm a working person in our industry, like I'm a successful working individual of society that has a real job in the industry. And that's what was more important to them than the fact that I had a, didn't have a degree. So I think that that's pretty cool. And I think it's special and unique to our industry. So that's awesome. But my closing statement is generally just whenever you're thinking about education and if it may or may not be right for you, I think it's important to know that it's different for everybody. Everyone is different and everybody needs to do what's best for them. If you're the type of person that needs structure, you need people to tell you what path to stay on and you need direction and guidance, then heck yes, go to school. It's going to be great for you. But if you're like me and you are really self-motivated, you don't like to follow rules, you don't like to do what people tell you to do, maybe school isn't for you. Maybe you can forge your own path on your own because all you really need is yourself. And that's okay. Matt, what is your closing thought? Well, I, I did love college and I, I would definitely do it again. Um, I liked it for all the reasons, like none of the things you're going to find on Skillshare. Um, but I also don't think I could ever judge anyone or give them advice otherwise if they said, well, I don't want to pay all that money or take loans out to do that. I think I can figure it out on my own. I think I would, uh, if you are a good designer, I would hire you and I don't care what school you went to. I'm kind of in the same boat. Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat with you, Andy. Like that's, that's, it's never the first thing I look at on a resume. So I think it's more about like, what is the... What, what do you see as valuable in college? If it's the intangible stuff that we've been talking about, I think go for it. And if you think it's worth it, if you feel like you can learn all the skills you need to online and you don't care about that other stuff, you can probably do that too. And you're going to be just as good. I don't think it's going to make you better or worse. Maurice, what do you have to, to close us out? Uh, I want to say that I think, you know, one of the benefits of, of being a self-taught designer, particularly now and what the design industry looks like, is that you're able to kind of work outside of you know, what might be deemed industry norms, so to speak. Uh, you're able to kind of approach design from a different vantage point where if you went to school for four years, you might have a specific type of process that that school taught you. Whereas if you are more self-taught or you've had experience in other areas, you're able to bring that in and then give your own kind of unique perspective to how you approach design. Uh, you know, to piggyback off of, of what Meg said, you know, uh, whether or not you decide to go to school for design is is a it's really of course it's a personal choice but realize kind of what the pros and cons are in doing that personally as well as 
I hate to say it as well as professionally, because if you're going to school and you're paying all this money, or if you go to school and get a scholarship, you would hope to get some sort of return on the investment of your time, even if it's not the investment of your money. So like if you're someone that is super disciplined and self-motivated and flexible, maybe design school might not be for you. And I'm pretty sure design educators are going to shit on me because of saying that. But um, it really depends on just kind of the person that you are, whether or not you feel you can make it and thrive within a, uh, a design education at whatever school you decide to go to. Uh, certainly there are enough resources out there where if you decide not to go to design school, you can still make it as a designer. I think that's one of the great things about this industry is that you're able to come in with your skills and still make a living. And it's not something where you need to be certified with a degree or with any kind of formal training. Um, as long as you have a strong portfolio and you have the skills, you're able to make it. Yeah. And my, my closing thought is that, you know, about art school specifically, because I did not go to a regular college, right? Uh, places like Micah are different. Uh, and in some ways, if you have never been to an art school or never known anybody that went there, like it fits a lot of the stereotypes you might have about an art school, right? Uh, like, for example, I would say that, um, you know, and again, this is something I, I'm sure people will be mad about, but I don't feel a great deal of prestige attached to my degree or my uh, my alma mater, not because I have anything against Micah. I think it's a fantastic institution, but because the nature of art school is that, like, if you just put a little bit of time in, not even a lot, like anybody can graduate with a degree from Micah if you can afford it, uh, because art is not objective. So you can just kind of go into each class and splatter paint on things, and you gen genuinely can go and graduate with a degree that way if you want. Um, so for that reason, like I don't feel like it's a, an accomplishment in the way that I know some of the like, you know, the the clout and the like uh, the legacy of like Ivy League schools and stuff like that are kind of known for being extremely rigorous academically. Um, I never felt that from from the place I went to school. What what I did feel is it was an enormous privilege to get to spend four years of my early adult life really just like figuring out what I cared about and like finding my voice and meeting people that were doing the same thing. Um, and it's a privilege that I got to do that and that I could afford to do it and I could afford to take out the loans to do it. Uh, and I recognize that that is a privilege that is not afforded to many people. Um, and what I would say is if, uh, if you're listening and thinking about doing that or you're in a program and you're feeling a certain way about it, um, if you think about it as a like investment in you as a human and less of an investment as you as a designer, uh, that's, that's where I got the most value out of school and, uh, felt like it was worth it for me. Um, so yeah, I feel like if, I, mean, I feel like if you can afford it both time and money wise, like why not go and screw around for four <laughs> years and do whatever you want and hang out with cool people and just like have an excuse to have access to resources to make stuff. But, uh, it's, uh, when I think about it financially, uh, you know, again, I kind of mentioned, I feel like the resources available to learn a skill, to learn a trade, uh, to find a community of people, like all these things are so much easier now than they were before. And, uh, I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, college attendance and the popularity of higher education, uh, didn't continue to grow over the next 20 or 30 years, um, which I think a lot of people assume that, of course, it's just going to get more. People are going to get more educated. That's just the general trend of society. But I feel like uh, with the communication age, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the path. Um, but yeah, I think we made a podcast. Meg, Maurice, uh, do you have anything to promote? Maurice, do you have anything you want to promote that's coming up soon? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, obviously, you all should be listening to Revision Path if you're not already. <laughs> I don't know what you're okay. doing with your life. Okay, uh, yeah. So, yeah, Revision Path, uh, of course, is my uh, design podcast where I talk to black designers and creatives all over the world. Uh, we just had our 200th episode back in July, and um, we are sponsoring the upcoming Black and Design Conference, which is taking place in, in October. I think it's October 6th through the 8th. At our Harvard University Graduate School of Design, I'll be there for that in case anyone wants to show up or anything like that. Um, other than that, you can go just... to Harvard and take pictures of all their books. So you can go study them on your own time. <laughs> that's the plan. That's the plan. Uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, we're gearing up honestly for our fifth anniversary, which is going to be uh, February 2018. So, you know, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Just search for Revision Path and uh, keep up with what we're doing. If you liked this show even a little bit, you will like Revision Path probably a lot more. Meg, do you have anything to promote coming up? Hmm, okay. I have some events coming up that are pretty cool. Tell us about them. Yeah, in Memphis in October, we have Creative Works, which is a really, really awesome conference that I've been going to for the last couple years. Uh, My team and I at Ghostly Ferns are going to be hosting a game show this year on stage so the this conference is letting us do something that no one else has really done before and they're letting us host a game show we're going to have a dj on stage there's going to be a lot of really weird exercises and participation and running around and all that sort of thing at creative works and then also right after that in october i am going to be at the aiga conferences so they're right here in minneapolis in my hometown we have the Ion Design Conference, which is one day. It's a lot cheaper. Highly recommend it, which I'll be on a mental health panel for. And then the regular old AIGA, AIGA Design Conference is just after that one. And I will be hosting part of that conference. So I'm hosting the local design portion of the conference. It's going to be pretty rad. Go see Meg speak. She is a tornado of joy, and it will make your life better Ooh. to be in the room when she speaks about a thing. As always, thank you to XYZ Type for the transcripts. This week, you can find XYZ Type on FontStand. Try them out for free. As a reminder, if you don't want to install proprietary software, XYZ Type offers all of their fonts as free trials right on their website. Just go and click the free trial button. Yay. Thanks, XYZ Type. Also, review the podcast. Go to iTunes, Man. check out Working File, leave us a five-star review. Goodbye. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs>